Fernando Garibay, producer and polymath, and this is a legendary... OG Arabian Prince, world's most dangerous group, NWA in the building. Literally, the most dangerous group. Fernando Garibay, who is the musical director on the album, one of my favorite things about him is that he collaborates. He's just so free. What can we expect at Expand North Star and Future Blockchain Summit? I'll give something away so the audience could be prepared. Uh, we're gonna actually create a hit on stage uh, with instead of having uh, a pop star like Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga, it's the audience who is the pop star. We will take their stories, their origin stories, their challenges, their interests, and they will write the song with us based on those stories. Live, in real time, live. So one of you or all of you who show up will be a pop star. And you never know, you might be Few people, even music fans, have heard of OG Arabian Prince or Fernando Garibay. But the significance of bringing these two music producers together for the first time for a discussion on technology and the creative process cannot be overstated. Despite coming from two different generations, they have shockingly much in common. Both grew up in L.A., both of them transformed popular music at a very young age. OG Arabian Prince, AP for short, is the forgotten member of the rap group NWA, the band that put out the first major gangster rap or street rap album straight out of Compton. AP is not just a member, he is the founding member and the producer of the debut album that made household names out of Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, and ECE. Fernando Garibay has written and produced five number one records, and most significantly, he is the Grammy Award-winning producer of Lady Gaga's album, Born This Way. When these albums came out, it was like nothing the world had ever heard before, and they still sound as fresh and as timeless today as when they first came out. Straight out of Compton laid the groundwork from which all rap since can be derived from. Not just in its format, but also its expression, its attitude. And I am honored to be connecting AP and Fernando for the first time, where they met up in LA to record this interview to discuss the impact of technology from AI to Web3 on the creative process, music production, music, and the entertainment industry as a whole. That's a, thank you. That's so kind of you to say. Uh, so this is the first Oscar. You're capturing this moment. So so my thread lies with NWA and Arabian Prince. Um, so yeah, exactly. So 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 I grew up in South Central Southeast LA. Uh, my parents immigrated and landed in 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 uh, Southeast and 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 Los Angeles. And so essentially, I grew up listening to Swedish records. I was named after ABBA, so it starts with you, Oscar. My parents didn't uh, have a name for me, so there's this nurse uh, thought it would be a clever idea. But it, uh, she she asked my dad, "What what uh what should uh what's your what's your name of your son?" And uh, and this is in Hollywood uh, Hospital. And <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, what should we name our son? Uh, and he's a collaborator, as you can tell. Uh, so so she says, uh, "What is this song named Fernando? That that I, it's really really beautiful." And so my dad's like, "Fernando, it is." So essentially, I'm the same after that song. My dad bought every single ABBA record, and that's how I grew up understanding uh, the world is through pop music. 
equally when I when I was in my early teens, uh, um, preteens, uh, there was this convergence happening in South Central, and what is really bizarre. So all the gangsters and cholos and and every you know uh, black brown uh, were were uh, all cruising to EZE NWA. This is eighty eight eighty nine. Uh, when I was first getting, you know, really uh, inherited a four track from a neighbor and just putting music together on my own. And so I was, I'd go to walk to school and this is junior high. And I would just hear every, every like drop Nissan, every like, um, classic car, like, like Impalas and, and, uh, you know, traditional, what you think about in the hood. And it was NWA easy consistently, right? Uh, a little Tupac, but more NWA than anything. It was a very proud community and Dre and, and, and NWA and Arabian Prince were the unofficial ambassadors of Los Angeles at the time. Now they're official, uh, <laughs> but back then. And so, but around that same time, there was a shift. So from one day to the next, it was NWA. Then it was Morrissey and the Smiths and the Pesh Mode. Right. And the same gangsters with Uzis in their trunks, right? Uh, fully automatic weapons in their trunk were also cruising to like you know soft sell again depeche mode uh, morrison dismiss and it was the weirdest thing because this music is synonymous with uh let's say uh new wave music and more of, of west los angeles kind of music but but it was so but but for straight like mexican and 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 african-american it was a way to become closer to their true selves right to be because music makers are ultimately very sensitive and you know vulnerable but for the in the hood you weren't allowed to talk about that right you were just always creating this front of like i gotta be tough because in order to survive if anybody sees weakness it's 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 like you get picked on like you're a target right so prey versus predator and so then it then i, I was just so taken back by that that i decided to to dedicate the rest of my life to uh, creating music that was able to bend the barriers of how people viewed themselves, right? And and so long story short, I, I was mentored by this prolific gentleman uh, uh, named Giorgio Moroder. Giorgio Moroder is known as the father of dance music. And then that led to Enrique Iglesias, then that led to Jimmy Iovine. Uh, it's a straight line from that point on. So we have NWA, ABBA, NWA, mm -hmm. Uh, and new wave music, and then Georgia Marauder, and then uh, Jimmy Iovine. And so I was in house for a very long time with Jimmy Iovine and produced a lot of, it was a Swiss Army knife, uh, it was it was Dre, it was Pharrell, it was Timbaland, it was, uh, um, who, who else was there? Um, uh, uh, Trent Reznor, uh, and, and I'm the least known of the group. Uh, so I was in house just doing everything. Uh, and it was thanks to Jimmy, so Jimmy mentored, um, as he does all his great um, uh, talent in house, spent some uh, very little little hours with with Dre, but um, just his presence alone was enough to understand what a behemoth of creative talent he is, and equally Arabian Prince. So that's where it all ties in, Oscar. Like it's the first time I'm sitting down with 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 the Prince here uh, to share that very nurturing aspect of his music and what. Society has thought that this was the equivalent of uh, protest um, at the epitome of creating new genres for the world. Uh, music, right? like the Holy Grail, 
NWA and you know EV, everything that came after us because of NWA and, and Prince's work and, and, and Dre's work uh, has led to my success um, working with uh, artists like Lady Gaga who, who defined uh, and created language for people who didn't have the language to articulate who they were. Right? And we did this through dance music driven by a mentality that if it worked in the hood, if dance music worked in the hood, it was authentic. If you can play it in your car and not be embarrassed and actually proud, even though it's dance music or electronic music, uh, then we hit our metric, we hit our benchmark. And so that's derivative of NWA. And the movie Straight Outta Compton about NWA, you were one of the characters that was not named, but you play the part of introducing technology in the music production. About technology and the creative process, as the old saying goes, there's no great art without suffering and pain. But it feels to me, especially today, that technology is making music production more automated and easier, and in some ways elevating mediocrities to produce art without allowing for enough gestation of the art. How do you see that playing out today with what's coming out in music? So I have a theory. You know, I've often said that you can give everybody in the room the same tools, but unless you know what a hit sounds like, it doesn't matter. Oh, I must say, I must hit a, I must hit a nerve somewhere. Mic drop. That's a mic drop moment. That's truth. One hundred percent. That's it. That's it. Without vision, right? Without vision, you can't get to the finish line. There you if go. you have no idea what greatness looks like, you're not great. If you have no idea what genius looks like, you're not a genius. Point blank. Yeah, and you know, with AI, somebody can go, "Oh, make me a Jay Z record," and use Jay Z's voice. Okay, you got a Jay Z record that AI thinks sounds like Jay Z, but it's not a hit, you know. And I always tell people, and what 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 kills me, and some people get mad at me when I say that, when artists or producers say, "I'm going in a studio to make an album," and they go in and they make ten songs, and that's their album. I'm like, you got hits, but like, you just did ten songs. That's that's fire. That's your album. I'm like, you got to keep working and working and working and working and working until you find those diamonds in the rough and you have to be knowledgeable enough and know that formula and i know he knows the formula of what a hit record sounds like and when you find that then you nurture that thing and then you go to the next and you do it over and over again you just can't go in and just do some songs and go that's my record or that's my album so i think that you know no matter what tools you have no matter what ai is out there you still need the people that understand what people want to listen to what people want to see what people want you know regardless of what you're trying to create um it's you know we're still in the same boat you need people to actually dictate what technology will bring let's unpack that for a second so let me give you the the, the um boring academic academic version of that so so essentially what's happening is when with AI, so you have uh, synthetic here, intelligence, right? And so right now it's at a paperclip level. It's great because it organizes your, your thoughts and your statements and, and uh, either LLM, uh, language learning model, or diffusion, right? And so the output is based on its inputs. And so far, the outputs are a conglomeration, a combinatorial aspect of the history of, of humanity uh, that's been unloaded, uh, uploaded online, right? And has been... Uh, gathered by the LLM uh, training model or the diffusion training model. That's synthetic intelligence today. Now, 
Max Teg Tegmark, who's like the kind of the father of the new way of thinking about this, what I love is it calls uh, uh, humanity, the, the new humanity, the, the, the post, remember how I walked through the, the history of how content became a commodity? Well, yeah, the benefit of that era of uh, up until the Renaissance and the Enlightenment period is that we realize what makes us human, right? What makes us human is wisdom, the uh, ability to acquire wisdom, the ability to acquire spirituality, the ability to acquire meaning, and the ability to feel, most importantly. And so that was then clouded with the post-industrial era, right? But the benefit of the post industrial era now is that we realize we need air conditioning, we need electricity, we need a, a, a car to get around. Um, so so the hybrid, the wisdom that came from those two enlightenment uh, renaissance era to industrial to post-industrial, the wisdom that came from that is, well, if we are wise enough to understand the value propositions for both eras, then uh, we now need to identify how to work symbiotically with synthetic intelligence. Right? and still value the wisdom that comes from natural connection of humanity. So Max Tegler calls this homo sapiens, right? So I just expand on his, his idea that the new human is a human that understands uh, from a feeling perspective, right? And so when you make um, hit records, hit music, music is uh, the oldest known language to humanity, specifically uh, the oldest non-linguistic language. So in order to really articulate uh, music as a language, you must understand the very essence of what makes a human feel. And when you understand what makes a human feel, then everything else is pretty simple. But if you, don't, if you can't compute or process what makes you feel something, it's a moving target. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. And so every art that you create, you kind of in the gray area, but if you very clearly understand what makes the heart move, then you can always create content that makes the heart move. And that's the ultimate frame for what makes a hit record. So back to synthetic intelligence, now that I give you the background, is now understanding that synthetic intelligence will uh, can repeat patterns very well, right? Can compute and uh, put structure to patterns so you theoretically you can take all the history of hit songs and find patterns within them but those patterns still need the sentient side the feeling side you need to understand what yeah. the patterns how those patterns can create feeling so that's so we've been using ai since 2003 on a regular basis with early forms algorithmic intelligence autotune right or or or, or, or different plugins that use an algorithm right so it still required human cur curation essentially. So I don't see that shifting anytime soon. Maybe in the future, we get to an, a state of humanity where we just prompt our ways through what we want to hear or see or experience. I understand that. I perfectly accept that. But equally, you're going to see a future when this happens, there's a singularity point, a multiple singularity points to get us there. But then, you know, handmade lyrics and, uh, and handmade code is like equivalent what what you're going to see on Etsy. Right, one, that's one alternate uh, future version of reality. But the other alternate is that, well, you're gonna see people like Arabian Prince here to um, and seek the oracle uh, on what truly it is that you sh want to feel. 
And then his wisdom is going to then articulate that to as many prompt engineers or 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 uh, a, a algorithmic algorithmic prompt engineers, synthetic prompt engineers, to curate the most beautiful world for you, right? In which you're going to live in. I love it. Done. Music is so much about capturing the moment. Look at straight out of Compton. You feel like you're there in the room. And it's the same with any legendary album, especially those that were recorded live. But now with technology, starting with multi-tracking, when you keep polishing the product and making it flawless, isn't it more difficult to capture the moment and the feeling that the artist is trying to convey? It seems to me that technology can become a barrier to capturing that moment. Yeah, I think it does. You know, and, and what you said with like even, you know, Straight out of Compton or any other album, someone's trying to tell a story. We live that story, right? So yeah. our, our version of Straight out of Compton or, you know, all of the stuff we did, it was a story that we lived every single day from the police pulling us That's over. Right. You know, all yeah. of those kind of things. Um, yeah, yeah. AI can't capture that. Like you can tell AI to say, okay, do this and this and that. But you're not going to get that feel. You're not going to get that part of humanity that comes from being frustrated that you can't walk a block without being pulled over by the police. Or right. like even now today, I'm 58 years old, right? I can't drive my oh, nice car down the street without getting pulled over and wondering why. You know, so it, it, it never ends. And that's something that, you know, technology or AI cannot describe. It cannot tell that story. So I, I think like from going into the future, AI... I told somebody this um, at one of the talks I did. I said, AI is just a frying pan. AI is just a spatula. It's just something to help, right? It's something to get you on that road. But even when you use it, a lot of times you scrap a lot of what comes out of it because it's just not what you are or what you want it to be. So, yeah. The, the, the idea, I think you touched on it, was really fascinating equally is... <laughs> People don't understand one if you're not uh, of a certain dynamic uh, skin color, et cetera, that you you'll it that the benefit of of being um, uh, what's considered a minority in this country, which is not a minority, but what's considered a minority in this country, is that you get exposed to an abundant amount of trauma, and so that abundant amount of trauma touches touches on your point of uh, you know is it trauma that is it the challenges that adversities in life uh, that make you more prolific? Well, yes and no, right? One, the benefits is that if you weren't challenged by the police or society, would you have created such prolific music? Maybe, <laughs> right? Maybe. Uh, I, I would. I would think you would find a challenge. Yeah. So, so that I think that's the correct answer. Uh, but without that challenge, you you have there's nothing. There's no real fight. Humans need a fight. You see, yeah. to create, you need a reason to create. And I think we'll always have that reason. Now, back to your point about capturing those moments. His instinct and intuition uh, allowed uh, his understanding to build the most prolific tech and leverage the most prolific tech at the time and still to this day to be able to capture those moments when they happen. Because not everyone can engineer those moments. When you get to engineering those moments, couple that with tech to capture those moments, then you have true singularity for creativity. How does that translate into the recording process? I mean, a lot of legendary albums that have been recorded, it's been in sparse and cramped environments with a lot of limitations. But 
What I hear you describing is that technology today is allowing artists to experience the music in a much deeper way. How is the recording process different now? What is it like to step into the recording studio where you're at right now? Bring tissue. You're going to cry a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand percent. I mean, how often... So the team here, who they're mentees and also mentors uh, behind us. And, and they, you know, so we work with a lot of world leaders and they come in here and you're talking about heads of states, um, uh, prolific uh, uh, C-suite from the most prolific financial institutions in the world. They step in here and they hear one song and or we'll create one song in front of them and they're in tears consistently over time over, over time over time because you can't hide from yourself here there's nothing it's just you right and this incredible wall of sound and experience uh so this place and the places that we create uh when we don't have this this amazing monitoring system speaker system it's a guitar it's a synthesizer that we take with us and it's amazing when we have a laboratory to do this but you do have to consider that to have to be able to do this to move the heart so profoundly you must be able to understand how that's done and the rest are just tools these are magnificent magnificent tools but but it comes you're the you're the instrument when you understand that you're the instrument then all you can articulate this with anything you're both coming to speak and perform at future blockchain summit how do you see Web3 and AI impacting music and arts in terms of its creation, distribution, and IP rights? Oh, I'll start. Okay. Well, for me, you know, it's, it's so funny how we as a society and humans love keywords, buzzwords to make money. You know, so it was Web3 and blockchain, and now it's, you know, metaverse and, and NFTs, all of these things, right? And then we find out as people jump to be the first that we're not ready yet. We're not there yet. We're still exploring what the blockchain is, what Web3 is, what the metaverse is and NFTs, all of these things. So, you know, for me, you know, I'm the CEO of a couple of companies that, you know, are in the medical blockchain space and, you know, um, um, interactive space. So I understand where we need to be. But I think right now, on as far as regular people, they still have a long way to go to understand. And I, I either use the word regular people, people who are not, you know, technologically savvy, they just gravitate to words and go, oh, I need to be a part of that, or I need to throw some money at this, or I need to do this. But I think, you know, as far as on the music side and on the media side of things, blockchain and web three is going to be one of the biggest shifts in how we interact with business especially the business of music, you know, especially artists getting um, finally paid what they're deserved, you know, royalties and statements and, you know, so many things like that. So I think we're getting close, but I, I say, in my opinion, another five years totally. or so before we actually see something that's really, really going to work to help change this industry. There are these thresholds that happen um, in nature and it's same for, for tech is you have these small little advancements and peaks and then you have these chasms that are really wide and unfortunately uh, blockchain and, and and meta tech has hit a chasm but that's an opportunity that's what I, that's how i see it right now it's is 
we didn't see how quickly ChatGPT was going to revolutionize how we think about AI and how we use it and how we implement it in our daily lives. And I think we're, we, it's hard to predict, but, but definitely I feel safe comfortable with, with Arabian Prince's, uh, uh, perspective and, and timeline as either before five years or on five years, or you're going to see a really big shift in how we, we think about our economics and, and thereby how we think about uh, the distribution of the economics for creating art, creating anything, you know, the transference of, of the balance of, and so there's a war being, um, fought now on, on the distribution of power when it comes to leveraging this, these economics. Okay. And part of the answer is there's two, two big arguments and, and, and disparaging conversations that are happening now. One is the uh, democratization, the egalitarian version of decentralized power uh, that blockchain and meta provide you. Equally, uh, you know, the, the tiny computer version of having AI um, autonomous in your house uh, for, for leveraging um, AI for your personal safe use, right? rather than a cloud-based um, uh, uh, non-egalitarian centralized power um, controlling all your, uh, your requests and, 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 and knowledge set, right? Uh, so, so does that make sense? So basically, that's where we're at. Where we're at with challenges that can, that's going to dictate how soon and how effective whether we go to a fully decentralized uh, model for economics, which is um, uh, um, uh, DeFi, uh, or a fully decentralized model for distribution of art, right, straight to consumer, um, which is uh, how we're planning to use blockchain in the music industry specifically, one of the ways. Equally with how we decentralize and if we do decentralize the our access to AI that uh, gives us our full control to that knowledge set rather than having a conglomerate dictate to us what we should um, understand about AI or how we sensitize uh, our answers and questions um, uh, from the AI with their feedback, you see? Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't get it twisted. I've made money on blockchain. I've made money on Bitcoins because, you know, I've been playing around with Bitcoin since um, 2008, 2009 when we were making video games and trying to see how Bitcoin could be used in game, you know, for yes. trading yes. in game merchandise and, you know, really. weapons and all those kind of things. So I've been in it a long time and think about it since 2008 till now, we still don't have a solution yet. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with, and I always say this when it comes to, uh, a computer engineer. Engineers can make an amazing product. They can make the most amazing computer, the most amazing thing, software, all of this, the blockchain. But until someone creative comes along, somebody creative has got to come along. The, the, um, Steve Jobs. So people get Steve Jobs twisted. Steve Jobs was a creative, right? And he hired a whole bunch of engineers and amazing people around him to, pull out that creative thing and make Apple what it is today. But since he's passed, no disrespect to the people at Apple, the creativity slowed down because now you have a bunch of engineers creating amazing product, but the advancement in creativity needs to go. So same thing with blockchain and Bitcoin. Somebody has to take this amazing technology and turn it into something that people can use on a daily basis. You know, it's even AI and chat GBT. 
It's something that we can use, but somebody creative is going to come along and go, okay, now this is something we can implement in your daily life seamlessly. You know, you'll think about it. It's just here to help and it's not going to blow up the world. (laughs) I'd like to point out that Steve Jobs was also a quality controller. So much about creativity is about cutting out the crap. Technology allows for so much flooding of a lot of crap content and there's a lack of focus. I mean, with Steve Jobs, when he was around, everything Apple put out, there were no flaws. But that's not the case anymore, and it's the same with music. Everybody talks about big labels. They're not needed anymore. Artists can sell direct to its consumers. Well, you know, the labels are quality controlled to a large extent. So 75% of everything you hear on uh, on all uh, DSPs, um, Spotify, uh, Apple Music, uh, Amazon Music, etc., are still a major label driven, uh, and 25% are independent. So I'm I'm neither for or against. I, I'm agnostic to the perspective. But but just to show you some data that it's that level of curation. So these fashion brands equivalent, uh, which are these labels, uh, have been consistent over time, and that is because they have a model of they capture some of the most prolific curators, right? And their opinions. It's, you're buying opinions, right? We can all outsource more or less if you know who the vendors are uh, for distribution and marketing, et cetera. But it's again, back to what Raven Prince said, some of the parts are greater than, than the individuals on their own. Yeah. And, you know, speaking with, he brought up fashion again, he fashion tech, the whole thing. And it's all one big, Symbiotic, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Virgil Abloh, mm-hmm. um, you know, Off-White and Louis Vuitton. Now, Pharrell Williams That's right. is taking um, Louis Vuitton down another path, mm-hmm. like so different than where they were. But now it's exciting again. You know, so yeah, you're right. It's, it's all about that. Redefining luxury. So Pharrell's doing something real interesting. It's redefining luxury again, right? Because essentially Louis Vuitton has spent, and these fashion houses have spent all these years um, creating the top tier of um, excellence uh, and aesthetic Right, so that you buy into, you're buying this high, highbrow aesthetic that we all want to achieve in our life. Uh, this, this, this story, right? And then Pharrell is quite doing the opposite uh, and kicked up by Virgil, right? It, it is, it's becoming accessible, and accessible is a new luxury, right? And the 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 relevance to real, authentic, daily life is luxurious now, right? Hiding your wealth is luxurious, right? With this new fashion movement, stealth wealth. It, it, so, so these are stories. So now back to this idea of what propagates tech, uh, what allows uh, the next uh, a, a massive adoption in tech. It's the story. And that's why creativity matters. I can break this down really quickly. The brain understands the world and makes sense of the world through stories. It's an evolutionary mechanism in our brain. And we have arguably 12 hierarchical cortical structures, prefrontal cortex, amygdala, et cetera, that allows us to desensitize and delineate what makes sense in our world by the story that we're either receiving from our environment, received from our parents, received from the neighborhoods we grew up in. And if we are proactive on our story, you'll have what I consider is enlightenment, self-authorship. You're proactive to the story that you're receiving from the environment. If you're not proactive and you just follow, you're reactive, right? And then you let society dictate your story, your inner narrative, right? 
And so that's very important concept to understand when it comes to creativity. And this is known as behavioral determinism, right? The environment determines your behavior. If you're not proactive on the story you're telling yourself, that's, that's the most powerful notion in creativity. So the true masters of creativity are able to weave stories like Steve Jobs was able to weave, think different, think different, right? So now he encapsulated the whole essence of what Apple is, succinctly made Apple symbiotic and synonymous with rebels and thinking differently. It's just like NWA did. Creativity is about creating reality. The ability to create yeah. reality, the way you create realities for people is to, is to author a story that is genuine and they can buy into that becomes their story. Yeah. So when you can do that, that's, that's what's missing to, for these new texts to be adopted by the masses is the tech works. The story's wrong. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So mm. when you have creators behind the storytelling of the rollout of a product, if you get it right, you will have mass adoption. Creativity is about thinking different and standing out from the crowd. But is it AI doing the opposite? The entertainment industry in general, now more than ever, everybody tries to appeal to the broadest audience and find the largest common denominator. But what really tends to become a hit and a breakout is what's different from what's already out there. And it's difficult to predict what's going to work. To paraphrase a movie mogul, I've got 20 films here, but only three of them are going to be blockbusters, and I have no idea which three. I mean, typically, the most successful movies are not the biggest Disney productions. It almost always seems to be the case that the more money poured into a movie and doing market research, the worse they're going to perform. And then you have movies like Sound of Freedom, the current number one box office hit that you did the soundtrack for. No one anticipated that that would be such a hit. Show me a part of me that I never knew existed, and you have a hit. Make sure you double. With yeah. The, make sure you have the distribution model to make sure that scales, or else nobody will hear that tree in the forest that yeah. that, that wasn't captured falling. You see. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of some um, quote that goes, "I, an artist that can make you long for a place to go home to a place you've never been to." That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You see, the power law of hits are so we've quantified this here in my studio and, and my research is. 10% quality of the content, right? Quality of the art, quality of anything, your tech, whatever. 90% quality of distribution. It's not to say that the 10% of quality of content or tech is not highly limbic, emotionally driven. It's not to say that it's, I mean, it has to be 100% of your best, right? But equally, the rest is determined by the quality of its distribution, right? From, from yeah. inception to consumer interface or b2b whatever version of that you like yeah and it's so funny you mention that because i hear complaints from artists all the time i'm better than him my music's better than oh, him God. yeah but ain't nobody heard it and no, nobody's no, no, going to no. hear it yeah. unless you get it out there to the right people to put it in the market space and even if it gets out there it may not be the right song it may not be the right thing at the time 
How many people have been so far ahead of their time? Oh, you're so right. So, so the story you're saying by the way you're wearing, what your video is projecting, it's not congruent with the lyric you just wrote about another culture that has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Inauthentic and it's confusing, right? It has to be one. Create that world so authentic that they want to be you, yeah. like you, or want to hang out with you, or want to have a romantic relationship with you. Hit all those marks and you have something. That's Taylor Swift, that's NWA, that's that's Trent Reznor, that's, that's Timbaland, that's Pharrell, that's all these greats that do it yeah. awesome. That's Beatles, that's Pink Floyd, that's Led Zeppelin. They create worlds, man. But it's also a collective experience. If there's a hit song and you don't like that song, you still connect with this collective feeling that you had at the time with the people that were around you. So you reach this critical mass and, you know, you're not allowed to dislike the song. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. And you know what's even funnier is how music brings people together that you would have never thought you know, like me and Scott Page, like me and Scott Page hanging oh. out. It's like, it's two of the both. Like, we're like this, but we're like this, right? It's all up to you, Oscar. Like, he literally put me on the phone with Scott Page and we started vibing on the phone. Like, yeah, man, like, we should do something. I'm like, well, I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do with Scott Page? The, the horror player Pink Floyd. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I could take some Pink Floyd music, remix it, and DJ it. And you can play the horn on top of it. Now, here's the weird thing. We never rehearsed. Yeah. It was just... We've got to put that online. That's legendary. You you mash up the, the Pink Floyd hits with uh, with Scott Page. Yeah. And, and the last point I was going to make is before that, it happened to me again. Somebody randomly, a friend of mine, reached out to me and goes, hey, there's this guy, this group that wants to collaborate with you. I'm like, okay, sure. Who is it? Al Jorgensen in ministry. Ministry? Uh, I worked on ministry, UK ministry? I, I, yeah, I've worked with ministry. No, no, the Al Jorgensen ministry, the, the industrial rock. Band. I know that. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, so they yeah. did work for love. Yeah. The that's probably, song. Yeah, we, we, we've got songs. You were inspired by your music. You know that. Yeah, right? well, that's why they probably reached out to me. Yeah, work so. for love is like, it's, it's one of my favorite songs from ministry of all time. And it's, it's British. Real funk, like funkadelic, like yeah, like it's wild. crazy stuff. Yeah, it's so, gothic. It's like like. So yeah, I I love these collaborations, man. It's, it's like so we funny. as you know, people need to understand. If you ask any performer, any artist, any gangster rapper, anybody, what they what music they grew up on, you'd be so surprised. Yeah, what totally. People grew That's up. That's what I mean. It's like it's not what you think. You know, like how, what their influences are mm-hmm. are totally different than what they do. If you heard, like, man, you know what society like the hood would call soft? Yeah. Oh, they listen to the softest music, man. Like the most emotional yeah. music. And we was like, you have so when you, when you start to understand why you become like a gangster, it is not because, uh, or, or like, um, you know. You, this gang lifestyle, it, it, and it's not because, you know, you want to prove your heart or, or have to send a message out. It's because you don't have a family. You're missing that void of the, you know, because we a lot of, unfortunately, um, in the hood we have um, no formidable values systems for families usually at scale, right? Because you know there's so much, um, with with the economics of of coming from nothing. You, there's a mirror to a sociological family connection, right? There's, there's a thread there as well. And and so you start like looking for brotherhood and, and family and 
And so it comes from a place of longing, right? So music is the other alternative, right? You find like for me, like, you know, like ABBA, really? Like, yeah, ABBA laid the framework for pop music moving forward by a bunch of Swedes who was, were able to synthesize the best of soul, right? Motown, yeah. uh, rockabilly, like jazz, and, and put it succinctly into a pre-chorus, pre-chorus, chorus model that didn't really exist formidably up until that point. And it was framed out based on, you know, um, African-American roots, right? And how powerful is that? Yeah. Anyway, so I'm delineating from the, from the thread here, but the thread here is that everything comes from feeling. And essentially, uh, feeling is the ultimate language. So that's why he was, he, that is the ultimate, the ultimate way of being, the, what's truly real in the world. It's feeling uh, beyond anything else. So if you're able to move the heart, you're able to move the soul, you're able to move the spirituality, it comes from feeling. It's the most formidable thing that makes us human. It's the thing that makes us human. Uh, it's beyond esoteric. It's beyond physical. It's beyond everything. It's feeling. From there comes, I can feel God. I can feel music. I can feel everything, right? And to your point is, you know, we all crave the same thing. We all come from the same place. We're all broken. We all crave connection. We all uh, start out brokenhearted. Right, we start. So with, um, we start with the void, and then we either get it from uh, people that love us, or we have to go and find it. Go find it, and that's what music is. So last year at Jitex, we brought together Pink Floyd with N.W.A., and this year, N.W.A. with the producer of Lady Gaga. What can we expect? We can turn the audience into. Uh, a pop star that may that could be amazing that we we, we, oh, take, we take somebody and turn them into a no no yeah you, you create a k-pop band you have 150 people in the audience, <laughs> right yep. and you separate the audience right into like you start to see this collective like we, we can build a collective intel uh collective consciousness in the room right so we start the same kind of origin stories and i'll, I'll be like tony robbins and i'll single out people and who i can tell on their faces they're dying to be witness and and share their story and we take that and songwriters take notes and and we'll be making the music and we'll be he'll the tag team he'll be asking questions because same way when he works for pop stars it's he's, he's he's unlocking them right so they can be a prolific instrument we'll show that live i think that'd be interesting we're going to be doing a lot of gaming this year at future blockchain summit and that's something that you have a long history of You've produced music for video games, and now you've built arcades last year in New Jersey and around the U.S. Tell us some stories about that. Oh, man. So I've been, you know, it's been deeper than that. So my story with gaming is, is, is kind of weird. So, and you're going to dig this. So when we first started doing music, even before NWA, you know, everybody wanted to be play video games. And back then it was mostly sprite games. You know, in the early 80s, we were playing um Coleco Vision, you know, like the little handheld yeah. with the little dots. Before Atari. Yeah, before Atari. We're doing all of that stuff. And then, you know, it got bigger and bigger. And I remember when we first started doing NWA, we were touring around mostly in vans and you know, we weren't big yet. We weren't really making money. But there was a shift between like when we would go to certain cities and partying and going out and doing things to people wanting to go to arcades and play video games. Like oh, that's wild. it became this shift where everybody's like, man, let's go play video games. And I'm like, and no disrespect to people on drugs. This is like the new crack. 
yeah, right? Yeah, like, I saw it early as this wow. entrepreneurial brain mind. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I want to get involved in this. So what I did was I had already started working with Saban on the Power Rangers doing visual effects because I taught myself visual effects and started doing all of the visual effects for Power Rangers. And we used to do all the Fox Kids morning stuff. I got a chance to go to Fox one day for a meeting. And I'm at Fox and they're telling us about the stuff we're going to do on the cartoons. And they mentioned, oh, and by the way, we're just starting Fox Interactive or Interactive Division to make video games. I'm like, I want to make video games. <laughs> I'm like, I want to make video games. And they were like, well, you know, we are doing this and doing that. And we can't bring you over here because you don't know anything about video games. And I'm like, well, you don't either because it's brand new and I want to get involved. And I never was able to get involved with them, you know, like actually working. And they knew I was like, we don't even know why you're doing visual effects because aren't you a rapper and aren't you touring and making records? I'm like, no, but I love this stuff. I ended up going over at Fox Interactive as a game tester just to get in the door part time. I mean, dream job. Yeah. <laughs> I went there and started testing games, sitting in there with the game testers. And it was the craziest thing because I had just bought like this hundred and something thousand dollar car. I had a, a Acura NSX. And I remember pulling up in my Acura NSX and all these like game testers making like five bucks an hour looking at me like, who's this guy? Like, why is he here? And there was, you know, the internet had just started, so nobody really knew who I was, but I learned from the bottom up how to make video games, man, and got in and was blessed to be working on probably a hundred video games for Fox Interactive, Avenue Universal, Blizzard, um, you know, everybody, man. And, and to this day, you know, now, like you mentioned, we are now building esports centers across the country, Milwaukee and, you know, um, New York. Um, I'm headed to, um, where am I going? Somebody just hit me up. I brain dead right now, but we just built, um, solar beehive in South LA. I've just put a hundred computers in Inglewood school district to teach them unreal engine to teach kids how to make video games and play video games. So, you know, I'm, I'm all in this for the next generation to teach kids that to think outside the box and also to teach the parents. See, I think one of the biggest thing is totally. parents are so traditional. You know, I want my kid to be doctor, lawyer, this, that, that, you know, accountant, engineer and STEM, STEAM. I used to be an owner of part of a, a STEM, STEAM um, school. And I was always trying to get us to think outside the box, right? Not Don't just put your kid in STEM and tell him he's going to be an engineer. Find out what your kid wants to do, what he wants to be. And there is something in technology that fits like sneakers. They use technology to design sneakers. You know what I mean? Um, if your kid thinks he wants to be the next Kobe Bryant, the next LeBron James, he may not be good enough. But there are so many jobs in the NBA that he could be primed for if his basketball career doesn't go. So my, my, my job in life is to educate the parents and the teachers and the kids on that there are so many ways to get out of the hood to get out of the inner city and to be what you want to be and the industry that you want to be in. Like, I never thought I was going to do music. I wanted to play football. I wanted to play football. And my mother was a classical pianist. She wanted me to be a pianist. And I hated the piano. That's rare. Hated it because she was teaching me. You know, you, you don't want to do what your parents want you to do. Not. 
what I learned. But that's that, that's right for my son. I always bring people like Arabian Prince over to talk to him. The future is is um, multidisciplinarian, right? So you have to be um, now. Everyone has access to the same data points. Everyone has access to the same knowledge. Uh, but you know what? You know the heart wants what it wants. Uh, am I quoting Britney Spears right now? Oh, Britney! Holy cow! Bring that Britney um, in. <laughs> someone or Selena Gomez. I don't know. But um, so so the 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 you follow your heart and you teach children how to follow their hearts then you supplement that with the rigor of discipline to better accelerate their growth and what drives their heart you see thinking myopically like traditional post-industrial mechanisms of education do not work for the future so that's what the mindset is adopted yes you still need a, a, a curator for a prolific code whether it's c++ python etc but you still need human curation. You still need the heart to drive that human curation for motivation, for a fuel source. So the reality is teaching the next generation, find what you love, what makes your heart rush, what, what makes your blood boil in a great way, what makes you jump out of bed in the morning, then, then leverage the discipline to follow that through with deep knowledge of something and surface level knowledge of a lot of things. Yeah, and create the next thing because there's nothing wrong with putting peanut butter and jelly on a hamburger. Totally. I mean, so so yeah, you know, think of the box, but but there, you know, what, what um, is your if you, is your picture is your glass half full or half empty? Well, most people don't even begin to think about the picture next to it, right? The picture of water next to it, right? Yeah. I mean, the idea is unlearning is a process of creativity. It's part of the Garibay Institute framework. We map this out. In a way that um, you can repeat creative models for people who are not or do not consider themselves creative, and I think the ultimate skill you can learn is creativity, equal with learning how to love things prolifically, learning to be vulnerable prolifically, uh, and with the discipline to be able to shut that off when you need to, so you can focus on the work equally, right? I'd love to see you both get involved with startups at North Star this year. Last year, AP, you were on the judging panel at the pitch competition. Would love to have you do that again this year. And let's, you know what? I want to give away a big check. So let me see if I can get some partners. Let's, let's, let's get some money together and give away a big check to a startup or something. So Arabian Prince is a lot of fun. Like, so I think people, like, even including myself, like, uh, without fun, in baked into what you do i think part fun is a, a, an externality of love right it's a kind of a true yeah. sense of love and so having fun baked into everything you do i mean he wants to write a get check to give out how fun is that there's nothing more rewarding i mean seriously that's what we're all about oprah star there's nothing wrong with loving who you are she said because he made you perfect babe so hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far.